viruses. It's worldwide. It's global. And the Bible says that in the last days there would be global pestilences. And you know who's sitting on the throne? And who is holding the scroll? And he is worthy to unlock the scrolls? It is him. The Bible says he is worthy to open the scrolls and loosen its seals. I taught about that last week. He is worthy. The Bible says that of all the people of the world, only he was found worthy to open the scroll and loosen its seals. It's not the Chinese virus. God is sending his horsemen. You know, the horsemen of the apocalypse. If you look at the horsemen, I preached on this in case you forgot. Back last year in September, the horsemen of the apocalypse are sending messages. God is sending his horsemen with messages and getting us ready for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming and what we've trusted in. And Pastor Mike said this on Wednesday. The trend is to trust in man, man's solutions. And we know that in the last days, in the end times, man will look to men for the direction and for guidance and to the answers and men will fail us. The answer is not found in men. The answer is not found in medicine. Medicine and the scientists are doing exceptionally well, working around the clock for an antiviral. And we applaud the nurses and the doctors, and we have family and relatives, members of this church who have nurses who are working around the clock and are coming in contact with those who have been exposed some of us have relatives in the hospital. We can't go pray for them and lay hands on them because of this virus. I'm not a prophet. Preached last week a message I never preached on before. But as I was sitting there, God in my spirit said, does our 21st century gospel work for a first century Mission. One of these days, technology will fail us. The buildings will fail us. And if we are have a 21st century gospel mindset, where science and technology and men have told us to avoid the sick when Jesus touched the leper, he walked the streets of Jerusalem. The Bible says that the apostles walked out into the streets when the lepers and the cripples lay on their deathbeds. The Bible says that Peter walked by them. Perhaps maybe even my shadow would go over them and touch them. We need a prophetic word for prophetic times. And if you fear approaching the sick, if you fear serving the most fortunate, the less fortunate in our times, then... You went on God of first century gospel. I read this article last night, could sleep, disturbances in the home and all that stuff that goes on. These are scientists and physicians with the theological worldview. He says, Christians, let's flatten the curve. We've read about that and seen that, that if we stay out, if we stay home, we'll flatten the curve. But remain a religion for the sick. Christians, let's flatten the curve, but remain a religion for the sick. And I'm going to read this. we got to use wisdom, but we got to remember, these are doctors that are saying this. 
He says, it's okay to be fearful. I put this on my Facebook link, so if you're on Facebook, you'll find it there. I'm just going to read parts of it. It's not my message, but I thought I'd read it because last night I really felt like we needed to hear what these doctors are saying. Patients are dying. People are scared. We find ourselves between the flippantly arrogant, the, cor the coronavirus is just another flu, and the fearfully paranoid. We are on the brink of financial collapse. He says, it's okay to be fearful. We are too. However, as Christians working inside and outside the healthcare space, this is a moment where our response might distinguish us as the people who practice what was once called by early pagans a religion for the sick. Health is good in our society and for good reason. Many of you guys are in good health today. The prophet Jeremiah spoke of God's promise to bring health and heal wounds. While health is good and should be pursued and maintained, we sense we've turned a good into a God. Indeed, while the coronavirus is novel, it does not represent a new fear. It merely reveals a quiet, well-nourished idolatry toward the health of our bodies and the trust in the ability of our medical institutions to save us. The West is feeling one of its greatest idol shiver. Orthodox theologian Jean-Claude Larcher goes too far as to argue that clinicians constitute a new priestly class of this idol of which doctors and other healthcare workers minister a new salvation of health to devoted worshipers and a theology of will illness. He writes that modern medicine encourages patients to consider that both their state and their fate lie entirely in the health, in the hands of the physician. And that only, and the only way they can endure their suffering is to look passively to medicine for any hope, for relief, or for healing. It should be a little surprise that in an effort to counter our anxiety, we employ the language of medical control. And you hear it. The morbidity and mortality for the relatively young and healthy is low. Right? If you're young and you're healthy, their mortality rate is low. We hear that in practice. But we ought to be concerned with those who are elderly and ill. And yet it is precisely the opposite population, the relatively elderly and unwell to whom Christians are called to pay closest attention to. Psalms 82 and Romans 15 make it clear that worshiping our own well-being neglects our call to the weak and those with whom Christ repeatedly identifies with throughout Scripture. Our comfort ought to not lie in the fact that we are protected under the banner of epidemiological peace our comfort lies in the fact that even we are stricken, if we are stricken with the coronavirus and die, our lives, our lives are known and sealed by Christ. If, you're ever, if you interacted with someone with the plague in 1350 or with the Spanish flu in 1918, there was a real possibility you would get it and die. The prayer... And if I die before I wake, I beg the Lord, I beg the Lord my soul to take was a real plea, not a nighttime trope. 
But Christians are a people for whom hospitality toward the minority and the potentially infected is a central virtue. He goes on to say the um, uh, Christian tradition and the practice of modern medicine, whether we know it or not, we forget there was a time in which people did not unconditionally take care of the sick simply because they were sick. And he goes on to talk about the root word of hospital it comes from the word hospitality. He says, indeed, we already isolate the dying in hospitals and hospitals and often permanently displace them in nursing homes. We live in the midst of an epidemic of loneliness, and that already leads to adverse health outcomes. When real life threatened, threatening illnesses arise, we shouldn't be surprised that we have no idea what to do. Our culture is a culture that treats death and physical suffering as an exception to ignore rather than an eventuality to prepare for. Ethics and theology, theologian Stanley Opera puts it this way. And then I want to read what he has to say. I'm going to get to find some of the last part of the, of the, of the article. He says, Holy Week in the time of COVID-19, because there's churches talking about whether they may not have services, one of the largest and, and most attended Sundays for most churches is Easter Sunday, Good Friday, that time of Holy Week. He says, Holy Week in the time of COVID-19, in which we remember the suffering of the king on his way to Golgotha, will surely this year take on a new meaning. Indeed, it is interesting that the coronavirus gets its name from a spiked ring of proteins on its surface that resembles a crown, hence the title Corona. In many ways, the coronavirus is revealing the crowned heads we already worship, health, self-protection, and medicine. Our global sustained attention to COVID-19 demonstrates that which we look to out, look to out of anxiety, control, and fear. Of course, we know that Jesus wore a different crown, one that calls us to worship, not out of anxiety or control, but out of love that drives out all fear. So I have a message for the church today. Not a message for the world, but for this congregation. I read a... Uh, an old devotional that I have. It's probably written in the 1800s. <clears throat> I read a lot of old preachers' sermons and devotionals from the 1800s. And the story caught my attention as I was just, I knew on last week more or less where I was going to continue this message I preached last week. But as I started just plugging away and just reading and saying, God, what is it that your church needs to hear? What is it that I need, I need to hear? Because when our health fails us and our gold fails us, I mean, you see the, the, how people are responding to go to the grocery stores and, you know, the, just the response and how people are so quick to rush to what they think they need. When those things fail us, will we be surrounded by them and dying? From this sermon book, I read the story, caught my attention. I heard of one of the stewards of an American vessel who when the ship was sinking saw heaps of gold coins scattered upon the cabin floor by those who had thrown it in their confusion of their escape. She gathered up large quantities of it, wrapped it around her waist and leaped into the water. 
She sank like a millstone, as though she had studiously prepared herself for destruction. I fear that many of you, our traitors, are diligently collecting guarantees for your sure ruin, planning to bury yourselves beneath your glittering hordes. Be wise in time. Imagine that a lady or a stewardess would do that. Could you imagine? That the very thing that you found security and comfort in, and she leaped herself out of the ship into the waters, and it only became her millstone. Have our securities become our millstones? Something for us to think about in times like these. That we would begin to think more soberly and clearly. Is that, yes, I'm all for messages and hope and grace and fear not. But have we reminded ourselves that life here on earth is not forever? Your health is going to fail. Your relationships may fail. But Jesus will never fail us. He's, he's in control of our lives if we give him the control. And so now I want you to turn with me to 2 Samuel. I'm not going to preach long. I want to spur us to begin to thinking of the times that we're living in. That one day we may not be able to congregate as a church. That we may have to congregate, as so many have beautifully done, over the last week in their own homes. We know that the church is not a building, and the church should be taking place in our homes. And there was a time in the life of King David when everything that he knew, he had to leave. And he was broken, he was wounded, and he was hurt. And he found himself leaving Jerusalem because his own son had tried to take the kingdom from him. And that's where we are in 2 Samuel 15. They have it up on the screen. I'll read it from my Bible. I want you to look at a couple things that happened here. It says now, in verse 15, verse 30, it says... So David went up, notice, and I think this is where a lot of people are at this morning. We all know what the Mount of Olives represent. I don't have to tell you what the Mount of Olives represent. That's where Jesus went, one of his greatest temptations, and wept as he went up. And he had on his head a covering and went barefoot. Speaks of his humility, his brokenness. And all the people who were with him covered their heads and went up weeping as they went up. And then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now it happened when David had come to the top of the mountain. Notice that where he worshiped God. There was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe and torn and dust on his head. And David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, you may defeat the counsel of Ahithophel for me. Who was Ahithophel? 
Ahithophel was one of David's godly counselors. He was one of David's most trusted advisors. And the Bible says that when David was going up to the Mount of Olives, we know that David said, you know what? I'm going to leave the temple. I'm going to leave the ark of God back in Jerusalem. And he left because his son Solomon had turned against, or Absalom had turned against him and wanted to take David out. He wanted to usurp the authority of the king and make himself the king. And David left Jerusalem weeping and broken. And he did not know whether to fight his son or to leave. This is David, whom James said earlier was a man that faced giants. He faced loneliness. He faced uh, a Goliath. He faced the lion and the bear, one-on-one, hand-to-hand combat. Yet when it came to his son Absalom, he said, I cannot fight my own son. And he walked away and he left home. And as David was on his way to the Mount of Olives, he was finding himself in a place of brokenness. And I pray that everything that is dear to you, that has been so dear to you, that you would say it's not worth it. Lord, I'm not willing to stay here, but I've got to get to the place of brokenness. David's on his way to the Mount of Olives and wept as he went up. It was not a hard and easy walk. And many of us have been there. We have not faced an easy walk. Some of us have walked alone. Notice David walked barefooted and with his head covered. They weren't praising him now. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. No, David is covering in his shame because his own flesh and blood had walked away from him. His own flesh and blood had wanted to disown him and conspire against him. You got to understand who Ahithophel was. Ahithophel, if you read chapter 16, verse 23, now the advice of Ahithophel, by the way, his name means fool. Now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, notice this, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. In other words, here's David praying and telling Hushai, I pray that God would turn his counsel into foolishness because he's not listening to God right now. But at one time, at one time, Ahithophel was a man who sought God. At one time, he was one who was there worshiping with David. At one time, he was there going up with David into that place of worship. He was there at the Ark of the Covenant. He was there in the temple worshiping God. But all of a sudden, bitterness and unforgiveness came and Ahithophel saw an opportunity to seek revenge against David and he joined Absalom. And if you've read your Bible, you know who Ahithophel was, Bathsheba's grandfather. So Ahithophel is here, he's full of rage and he's full of hatred for David and he sees David has left the kingdom, he's broken now. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he's fled and he's in fear and he's hiding in some cave, send me. 
and I'll pursue him while he's in fear. You got to watch what you do when you're living in fear. That's why the message to the church of America is fear not, fear not, because when you are led by fear, you will do the unthinkable. You will serve the unthinkable. In chapter 17, verse 1 through 3, the next slide, it says, Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Now let me choose 12,000 men and arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he was weary and weak and make him afraid. You know, we know that David was a mighty man and nothing would be afraid of him. But now he's in a very vulnerable position where Ahithophel thought, now I could take revenge upon him. But notice that Ahithophel wasn't willing to go alone. He wasn't willing to go alone. But Absalom thought about it for a minute. We know that David had already prayed at the Mount of Olives, turned the advice of Ahithophel into foolishness. Lord, let his counsel come to nothing. And the Bible says in the book of Psalms that the Lord God will turn the counsel of the world into nothing. What are we going to do when the scientists and the best of the best and the world leaders have no solutions, when lock-ins no longer work? Who are we going to turn to then? Where are we going to run to then? So Absalom said, well, call Hushai, because David told Hushai, what I want you to do is I want you to go, and I want you to go serve Absalom and do a counterintelligence. And it's amazing, he was one of the first CIA special agents in, in, in the history of Israel. And he went and did a counterintelligence, and David said, I want you to go listen to what Absalom, see what their plan is, and then I want you to counter their plan. And so Hushai comes in, Hushai comes in, and Absalom is standing before them. And Absalom says, now call Hushai, the archite. He says, and Absalom said, now call Hushai, the archite also, and let us hear what he says too. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him saying, Ahithophel has spoken in this manner. So we shall do as he says, if not speak up. So Hushai said to Absalom, the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. And then verse 23 of 1 Samuel 16, this is the end result of Ahithophel. The Bible says, Now when Ahithophel had saw that his advice was not followed, he saddled the donkey, he arose, went home, set his house in order, and he took his life. And so I don't know whose voices you're listening to. There's many voices speaking today. And so in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the fear, do we have voices that have heard from God? There will be many misleading voices today. And if you, if, you, if you listen to the voice of fear, the voice of fear will tell you, no, it's not wise. This isn't wise. That's not wise. Now, we ought to respect. I respect the governor and her wishes, and I respect the health officials and their wishes. But we must obey God rather than men. Isn't that what the apostle said? We don't want you preaching in this name. Why? Because they saw someone that was healed in the name of Jesus. And they said, we don't want that here, so shut your mouths. And the Bible says, so they wouldn't speak in that name no more. They beat him a little bit, put him in jail. But God broke them out, and they went back into the city and said, we're going we're gonna to preach in this name anyway. So remember that Ahithophel was speaking, but he wasn't hearing from God anymore. 
And in these times that we're living in, you need to be sure that you're hearing from God. You need to discern, Lord, am I hearing correctly? Am I doing the right thing right now? You know, Hushai, the CIA in 1963 released this article and I took a picture of the website they did a they, they did an a, 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 an account or an article on him and basically it was a tale of Hushai the archive the archite and he was one of the first special agents in recorded history and as I was reading this, I thought, how interesting that our own government would look to this particular case and notice that they were interested in the espionage and, and, and the special agent. And they called them, this is the study on the agents of influence. And there's agents of influencing, influencing you, listening to you. And so you got to remember that you have to discern in the times that we're living in. Is that the wisdom of God? Is that the counsel of God for my family for this time? Because you will be faced in opportunities and, and times where, where you will not know how to respond. Where you will want to respond in anger or in fear. People are afraid today and they're taking their own life. There was a guy in Albuquerque running from the police. He took his own life in plain sight. And have we, the church of Jesus Christ, have the message for the world? Does our 21st century gospel fit a first century mission? In other words, when the world says avoid the sick, will we avoid the sick? When, when the world says avoid going to the public places, will we avoid going to the... And I'm, say, I'm saying be cautious, but listen to the spirit of the age. Listen to the spirit of the world. And I pray that God would turn the voices of Ahithophel into foolishness. So what does that mean for us? That means for us is that we ought to be listening for the voice of God during this time. The Bible says in the last days that God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And he says, and I'll speak to your sons and daughters. And I'm concerned that our sons and daughters are not listening to God. Are they hearing from God? We talked about the sufferings and the effects on this world. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, 6, he says, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Notice, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. To a dying and an infected world, do they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? That is the church's mission. Among all of our positive messages and health messages, do the people under the sound of our voice have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because the Bible says in flaming fire, he's taking vengeance on those who do not know him. And the Bible says, just as he's reserved hell for those that don't know him, the Bible says he has reserved protection and safety for those that do. 
He says, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired upon, among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Now, if you read the book of Revelation, and, and, and I'm not going to go into all that, preach a little bit about that last week, just one part of the plagues in the last days. One of the final and last plagues in the book of Revelation is people will actually be cursing God because of the heat and the sun that is burning them because they took the mark of the beast. Now, everyone asks, where is God during times like this? Where is God? But there is coming a time where the world will look up into the sky and curse him. And we're not there yet. But these are birth pangs. And as things begin to happen more and more, are we as a church going to respond? I mean, how many more plagues can we continue to separate from one another? Until we finally realize, hey, you know what? The world is not going to be the same anymore. My last verse, he says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, 2 Peter 2, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Notice I talked talk to you guys about that word reserved last week. It's the word furu in Greek or terio. It's God is reserving the ungodly for flames and he's reserving... The demons for judgment. In other words, he's, 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 he's reserving them for that. But just as he is reserving them for judgment, he is also reser reserving you. He's reserving the church. He says, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. But if you look at the last part of that verse, he says, um, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten to us again a living hope, notice, and who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. So the same God that's reserving the world for, for judgment is reserving the church. And the amplified version, he says that we are being protected and shielded by the power of God through your faith and just because God protects you and shields you does not mean that you won't die that you will not get the plague but he's reserving heaven for you and that is the message of the church is that life is not here health and medicines may be okay for now but when your health fails you what will you cling to when the medicine fails you what will you cling to? When science fails us, who will we cling to? Are you allowing the brokenness in our life, Lord, for a reason? And as we're walking towards that ascent of Mount of Olives, are you, God, trying to get my attention? Are you trying to shape me as a church? Are we willing to walk alone? Are you willing to walk your faith journey alone? Because as David looked back, 
even his old children were walking away. David left the temple. He left the Ark of the Covenant. And he went out to the Mount of Olives. And he said, none of that matters. As a matter of fact, I don't need to worship God over there. I can find God up here. And so if the church were to shut its doors, would you still be able to find God? If you know him, you will. Look what David's prayer was as he's on his way to this place of breaking. It's one of the last verses that just caught my eye. He's calling God his strength and his fortress and his deliverer. He says, in my distress, in my crushing, that's David's Mount Gethsemane where Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Notice he says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God for he heard my voice. Notice from his temple, from his temple. God don't have to hear you from church. David found his temple and he knew God was hearing him in his temple when he got to the Mount of Olives, when he got to that place of brokenness. Oh, how we need brokenness in America today. We pray for the wisdom of doctors and all the scientific advances that we've made in a generation. But one day those things will fail us. So I think it's time we strip ourselves of our pride, our trust. Notice David, David's leaving everything he had established, a great kingdom. And he had to take that long and sorrowful walk. David left his sanctuary. He left his family. He left everything that was dear to him. He said, you can keep the kingdom. Because as we try to preserve our own kingdom, as we try to preserve our own desire and lose God's desire, will we fare well? As we cling to those things, will they become our millstones that lead to our peril? So our only hope is Jesus Christ. I hope, I have a living hope. We may not see each other next Sunday. We may not worship in the same place next Sunday. But will I see you in heaven? And that's the most important message that the church can do. We've watched it. All week we've watched it. Pastors going online, churches serving, giving out food. We gave out food last week, but that's not our mission. We're not here just to give out food, provide a place of shelter and refuge. We're here to get people ready for heaven. And as we see these plagues, these deathly plagues coming, will we be ready to respond, to give people hope?